Hey there, this is the podcast Walking with Dante, and I'm Mark Scarborough. In this episode of the podcast, we are continuing on with our read-through of Inferno. We have passed through Dante's Inferno, passage by passage, bit by bit, weed by weed, dandelion by dandelion, all the way down to the bottom, up Satan, down Satan, whichever way you're looking, and then on out to the stars on the shore of Mount Purgatory. We finished all of that, and now we're stopping to read through Inferno. This is my English language translation. It's the one that was used consistently in all the episodes for this podcast. You can find it on my website, markscarborough.com or walkingwithdante.com. But I wish you wouldn't. I wish instead you just sit back and listen to the story because the point of this is to see Inferno not as a series of interpretive knots or a series of difficult classical allusions or a series of metapoetical statements. <laughs> you know I love that last one. But instead, as a story, as a through story, as a narrative, one man's walk across the known universe. We are at Canto 4, and we're going to read Canto 4 all the way through the back of Canto 7 in this episode. So, without any further ado, first a little of the Florentine, and then the story. Rupemi l'alto sono nella testa un greve truono, sicchio mi riscossi come persona che per forza d'este, e l'occhi riposato intorno mossi, dritto lavato. A giant thunderclap resounded in my head and broke up my deep sleep so that I woke up as if someone had shoved me hard. Getting up, I turned my rested eyes in every direction and then stared fixedly to learn where I was. Truth is, I found myself on the edge of the valley of the abyss of sorrow that resounds with infinite wailing. It was so dark and deep and foggy that even though I tried hard to see the bottom, I couldn't make out a thing. Let's go down into the blind world, the poet Virgil began, all sickly pale. I will be first and you will be second. I noted my guide's color and said, how am I supposed to come with you if you're afraid? Because I look to you for solace when I'm in doubt. And he said to me, the anguish of the people who are below has tented my face with compassion, which you mistake for fear. Let's go, for the long path calls us. So he set out. And he made me enter the first circle wrapped around the abyss. Here was no lamenting, none that could be heard, only sighs that made the eternal atmosphere tremble, sighs of grief without torment, which came up to me from a thick and large crowd made up of babies, women, and men. So you're not going to ask me what spirits are these that you see? Before we walk any farther, I want you to know that these did not sin. If they earned themselves some merit, it wasn't enough because there was no baptism, which is the doorway to the faith that you believe. And if they existed before Christianity, they did not worship God as is required. 
I am counted one of these. Because of these deficits and for no other fault, we are lost and afflicted in only this way. We live in desire without hope. My heart was pressed down with sorrow when I heard this because I understood that people of outstanding merit were here suspended in limbo. Tell me, my master, tell me, sir, I began because I wanted to be certain of the faith that conquers all error. Did anyone, either by their own merit or someone else's, ever get out of here to be made blessed? He fully understood the true meaning of what I said, so he replied, I was new to this state of being when I saw a powerful entity come down here crowned with the symbols of victory. He pulled out the shade of our first parent, also the shade of Abel and that of Noah, as well as that of Moses, the lawgiver and obedient one, and the patriarch Abraham and King David, Israel with his father and sons, and Rachel, for whom he did everything, and lots of others. He made all these blessed. Before these, I want you to know, no human soul was ever saved. We didn't stop walking while he spoke, but went through all of the forest. A forest, I mean, of gathered souls. We had not gone on our way very long from where I'd slept when I saw a fire rising triumphant over the hemisphere of darkness. We were still a little ways off, but close enough that I could partly discern the worthy people who possess this place. Oh, you who honor knowledge and art, who are these whose honor is so great that it sets them apart from the rest? And Virgil, to me, their honored fame that sounds around you in your life up above wins them grace in heaven, which then puts them forward here. As he finished, I heard a voice saying, Honor the highest poet. His shade left and has come back. After the voice had finished and fallen silent, I saw four great shades coming toward us with an appearance neither sad nor happy. My good master started to speak. Check out the one with the sword in his hand, leading the other three as their sire. That's Homer, the sovereign poet. Next comes Horace, the satirist. Ovid is third, and Lucan is last, because each of them shares with me the title the lone voice called out, they honor me and thus do well. And so I saw gathered the beautiful school of that Lord of the highest song that soars above all the others like an eagle. After they had chatted among themselves for a bit, they turned to me with welcoming gestures, and my master smiled at all this. Then they gave me even more honor in that they made me one of their company, so that I was the sixth in this wise council. That is how we went on toward the light, talking of things that should be left in silence now, although it was good to speak of them when I was there. We came to the pediment of a noble castle, wrapped seven times by towering walls, which were themselves defended all around by a beautiful brook. We crossed over this as on solid ground, 
and I passed through the seven gates with these sages. We even got to a meadow with fresh green grass where there were people with slow, grave eyes and great authority in their appearances. They didn't speak much, only with soft voices. Then we moved over to one side to an open spot that was well lit and high up so we could see everyone. There in plain sight on the enameled green, the spirits of the great were shown to me. To have seen all of them still lifts up my spirit. I saw Electra with a big company that included Hector and Aeneas and Caesar in armor and with falcon eyes. I saw Camilla and Penthesilia, and on the other side, King Latinus, who sat with his daughter Lavinia. I saw Brutus, who drove out Tarquin, Lucretia, Julia, Marcia, and Cornelia. And over by himself, I saw Saladin. When I lifted my eyes yet higher, I saw the master of those who know, seated with his philosophical family, all look at him and do him honor. There I saw Socrates and Plato closest to him and in front of everyone else. Also Democritus, who says the world happened by chance, Diogenes, Anaxagoras, and Thales, Empedocles, Heraclitus, and Zeno. And there I saw the great collector of things according to their qualities. I mean Dioscorides, and also Orpheus, Cicero, Linus, Seneca the moralist, Euclid the geometer, and Ptolemy, Hippocrates, Avincenna, and Galen, Averroes too, who made the great commentary. I can't possibly present all those there because I'm pushed on by my long theme. What I say doesn't come close to what I want to say. The company of six now dwindles to two, and my wise guide leads me along another path, out of the stillness and into the twitching air. So I come to a place where nothing is that shines. I went down from the first circle to the second, which rounds a smaller space and has more pain to goad the cries. Horrid Minos stands there, snarling. He quizzes each sinner at the entrance, judging and sentencing them by wrapping himself up. I mean that when the bad-born soul comes before him, it confesses everything. And that connoisseur of sin decides what its place in hell should be by wrapping his tail around himself as many times as the number of circles down it has to go. They crowd him, but go one at a time to their judgment. They tell, they hear, and they are hurled down. You there, who comes to our hostelry of sorrow, Minus said when he saw me, setting aside the pursuit of his official duties. Beware how you get in and whom you trust. Don't kid yourself about the portal's easy entrance. And my guide said to him, why do you holler so much? Don't get in the way of his destined journey. This is willed, where what is willed is what is done. Don't question us any more. Now I begin to feel the note of sadness. Now I came to a place where a great wailing knocks against me. I came to a place where light itself is mute. 
a place that roars like the sea in a hurricane, where conflicting winds slam against each other. The hellish whirlwind, never resting, drives the spirits on with its violence. It tortures them, turning and bashing them. When they get up to a ruined outcropping, they shriek, wail, and lament. They curse divine strength. I understood that those tormented like this were those damned for their carnal sins, those who made reason bow down to lust. And as in cold weather, when the wings of starlings carry them aloft so they crown the air, just so does that wind carry those evil souls up and down, here and there, without any hope to comfort them, or any lessened sorrow, or even a place to light. And like the cranes that go chanting their sad songs, making long lines up in the air, just so I saw them coming toward me, offering their cries, shades carried on by that blasting wind. So I said, Master, who are these people whom the black wind castigates so? The first of those whose stories you want to know, he then told me, was empress of a polyglot world. She was so rotted by the vice of lechery that she made lust legit in her laws to blot out the shame she'd brought on herself. She's Semiramis. We read that as his wife, she succeeded Ninos to the throne and held the land that the sultan now rules. Next is she who offered herself for love and ripped up her faithfulness to the ashes of Sicius. And then there's raunchy Cleopatra. Look at Helen, around whom so many horrid times revolved. And look at the great Achilles, who waged a final battle with love. Look at Paris, Tristan. And he pointed out more than a thousand shades and named them, too, everyone whom love had cut off from our life. After I heard my teacher name the ladies of old and their knights, pity grabbed me, and I was almost lost. I began, poet, I really want to speak with those two who go together and seem so light on the wind. And he to me, you'll see them when they get closer to us, then beg them by the love that drives them, and they will come to you. Right when the wind bent them close to us, I spoke up. Oh, worn-out souls, come talk to us, if no one disallows it. As doves are drawn to their sweet nest with their wings open and firm, summoned by their desire, moving on the air, wanting to land, just so these spirits slipped away from the flock near Dido and came to us through the malevolent air. That's how strong my endearing cry was. O oh, gracious and benevolent living creature who comes in the doom-filled air to visit us, the ones who stained the world with blood, if the king of the universe were our friend, we would pray he grant you peace because you have displayed so much pity over our bad twist of fate. All the things that it pleases you to speak or hear, we really want to hear and speak with you while the wind has quieted as now. I was born in that land where the river Po and all its tributaries slow down and descend to find peace in the sea. Love that quickly catches fire in the gentle heart seized this one with me because of my gorgeous body. 
body that has been taken from me, and the way it was taken still hurts me. Love that doesn't stop anyone loved from loving seized me with such a strong passion for this guy that, as you see, it hasn't abandoned me yet. Love drove both of us to one death. Kaina waits for the man who blotted out our lives. These words were blown from them to us. When I heard these scarred souls, I bowed my head and kept it down until the poet said to me, What are you thinking about? When I could reply, I began, Alas, how many sweet thoughts, how much desire drove these two to the sorrowful pass. Then I turned to them to speak again and said, Francesca, all this pain makes me weep with sorrow and pity. Tell me, in the time of those sweet sighs, by what means and how did love make you cognizant of your dubious desires? And she said to me, there is no greater sorrow than to remember our happy times in the middle of misery, as your teacher knows. But if you really want to know the originary root of our love that you are so drawn to, I will tell you as one who both weeps and tells. One day, just for pleasure, we were reading about how love got the better of Lancelot. We were alone and without suspicions. That reading made us lock eyes more than once and robbed the color from our faces. But on a single point, we were defeated when we read how the much-desired smile was kissed by such a great lover, this guy, who will never now be divided from me, kissed me on the mouth, trembling all over. That book and the one who wrote it were our Galeotto. That day, we didn't read any further. All the time the spirit said this, the other one beside her wailed, such that pity overcame me as if I died, and I collapsed as a dead body collapses. When I came back to my mind, after it had shut down over the pity I'd felt for those two family members, which had thoroughly mixed me up with sadness, new torments and new examples of the tormented I saw all around me, whichever way I moved or turned myself or directed my sight. I'm in the third circle, the one with the eternal cursed freezing and leaden rain, which is never made new in either measure or quality. Giant hailstones, fetid water and snow fall down through the darkened air. The ground that sucks it all up is rancid. Cerberus, a horrid and cruel beast, barks from his three throats as a dog over the people who are submerged here. His eyes are scarlet. His beard is oily and black. His gut is swollen and his hands have talons. He mauls, flays, and quarters the spirits. The downpour makes them howl like dogs. They toss and turn from one side to the other, trying to shield their profanely miserable selves. When Cerberus, the tremendous worm, noticed us, he unlatched his mouth and showed off his fangs. No part of him was held still. 
at which point my leader extended his hands, grabbed some dirt, and threw full fists of it into the ravenous windpipes, just as a dog that lets it rip when it's hungry and quiets itself when it wolfs down its dinner, abandoning itself to chewing, just so those foul, ugly muzzles of that demon Cerberus were stilled, who otherwise is so loud that those souls wish they were deaf. We were walking over the shades that lay about under the leaden rain and putting the soles of our feet on that emptiness that seemed like real people. All of them were scattered about on the ground, except for one who sat right up, right when he saw us pass in front of him. Oh, you who get a guided tour of hell, he said to me. Recognize me if you've got the know-how. You were, before I was unmade, made. And I to him... The distress you suffer may have erased you from my mind so that I don't think I've ever seen you before. But tell me who you are set down in this place of suffering with such a penalty that none is so nauseating, even if it's greater. And he said to me, your city, which is so full of envy that its bag overflows, held me in it when life was cloudless. Your citizens called me Chaco, and for the contemptible sin of the gut, as you can see, I am beaten down by this rain. I am a miserable spirit, but I'm not alone. All these here endure the same penalty for the same guilt. And then he said no more. So I replied to him, Chaco, your affliction so weighs on me that it has pushed me to tears. But tell me, if you know... What will happen to the citizens of the partitioned city, if there are any who are just, and explain why all that discord has struck it? And he said to me, after much antagonism, they will come to blood, and the forest party will force the other one out with great carnage. But then this party will fall within three summers, and the other rise because of the force of the one who is waiting in the wings. For a long time with high foreheads, these will hold the other down with a ponderous weight, despite the tears and despite the shame. Two are just, and no one pays attention. Pride, envy, and avarice are the three sparks that have ignited their hearts. That's how he finished his lamentations. And I said to him, I would like you to keep teaching me and give me the gift of more words. Ferranata and Tegiayo, who are so valued, Chacopo, Rustucci, Arrigo, and Mosca, and the others who turn their minds to doing good, tell me where they are and make me understand, for I am burdened by a great desire to know whether heaven sweetens them or hell curdles them. Then he said, They are among the blacker souls. Diverse sins push them far down to the bottom. If you go down that far, you'll be able to see them. But when you are back in the sweet world, I pray you bring me to the minds of others. I tell you no more, and I won't respond to you again. His clear eyes twisted into a squint. He stared at me a little, then bent his head down and fell prone among the other blind shades. My leader said to me, he's not going to wake anymore, not until the sound of the angelic trumpets when the baleful power will come. Each will again find his or her miserable tomb, will be reclothed in flesh and form, and will hear that which resounds throughout eternity. 
So we made our way through the foul mashup of shades and rain with slow steps, touching a little on the life to come. I said, Master, will these torments get bigger after the grand judgment or get smaller or stay as they are? Virgil said to me, go back to your science, which claims that when something gets closer to perfection, it feels more well-being and also more pain. Although these wretched people will never come to true perfection, they'll get closer to it than in their present existence. We continued on in the road spin, speaking of more things that I won't repeat. Then we came to the place where the road descends. There we came upon Plutus, the great enemy. Papa Satan, Papa Satan, Alepe! Plutus started in with a clocking voice, and my well-heeled sage, who knew all things, said this to fortify me. Now let your fear hurt you. No matter his power, he won't impede our way down this rock slab. He then turned to confront the puffy face and said, Shut up, cursed wolf. Let the rage inside you devour you. This trip to the depths is not without a cause. It's willed on high, where Michael made his vendetta against the prideful Blitz. As sails billowed in the wind fall into a knotty mess when the mainmast gives way, so that cruel beast fell to the ground. In this way... We descended into the fourth pit, observing more of the sorrowful rim that puts all the evil of the universe in a sack. Oh, God's justice. Who could stock all this new torment and pain that I saw? And why does our guilt so ruinous? As a wave spilling over Charybdis crashes against another that it meets... So these souls did in their frantic dance. I saw more people here than at any point above, on one side and another, with great screams shoving heavy weights against their chests. They smashed together, and as soon as that, they turned around, pushing their loads and hollering, Why do you hold on to stuff? And why do you throw it out? In this way, each one traverses the miserable circle on either hand to the opposite point, hollering their shameful meter at each other, only to turn around when reaching that point and follow the half-circle back around to the other jousting list. And I, feeling as if my heart had been run through, said, My master, please fill me in on who these people are. And were these all clerics, the tonsured ones on our left? And he to me... All here were so nearsighted in their minds back in their original lives that no control governed their spending. They bellow out this stuff clearly when they come to the two points of the circle where their contrary guilt divides them. These were clerics who have no hairy caps on their heads and popes, even cardinals, in whom avarice reached its highest achievement. And I said, Master... Among these last sorts, I ought to clearly recognize some who were fouled with this sin. And he said to me, You're collecting empty thoughts. The lack of discernment that besmirched their lives has darkened their souls beyond recognition. They will come to their two collisions for all of eternity. These will be resurrected from their tombs with clenched fists. And these, with short hair, will rise inappropriately tossing stuff out and storing it up, have taken all of them out of the beautiful world and set them to scrapping. I can't offer a nicer word for it. 
Now you see, son, what buffoonery comes to these because of fortune's goods, so much so that humans fight each other over them. All the gold that's below the moon or ever could be is not enough to give rest to one of these worn-out souls. My master, I said, now tell me further this fortune that you just touched on for me. What is she? With the world's beneficence clutched in her arms, and he said to me, Oh, crazy creatures, how great is the ignorance that makes you stumble? I wish you would quaff my thesis. That one whose wisdom transcends everything created the heavens and gave them their guides so that each part would shine in another part, distributing all the light equally. In just such a way, when it comes to the world's splendors, he ordained a general minister and leader to temporarily circulate all the world's empty beneficence from people to people and from race to race beyond the interference of human might, so that one people rules and another withers away, all in accord with the judgment of this one who is hidden like a snake in the grass." Your knowledge is no match for hers. She foresees, judges, and pursues her reign as the other gods do theirs. There's no truce in her transformations. Necessity forces her to be fast. So pressing are those who come forward to have a turn. She's the one who is always put up on a cross by those who should instead give her praise. They blame her unjustly and speak ill of her. But blessed is she. She doesn't hear a thing. She is happy with the original creatures. She rotates her sphere and is lifted up in bliss. Now let's descend to even greater sorrow. Those stars that were rising when I started out are falling now, and we must not stick around here too long. So we cross the circle to its outer rim, to a place where a boiling spring overflows and collects in a ditch to flow away. The water was dark, more so than ink, and we, going along beside its murky wave, went down by a fractured path into this swamp, which is called Styx. This miserable creek made its way to the bottom of the evil gray slope, and I, with a thick stare, saw a muddy people in that mess, all of them naked and with looks of rage. They were socking each other, not just with their hands, but even with their heads, their chests, their feet. They even tore each other limb from limb with their teeth. My good master said, Son, now you see the souls of those overtaken with wrath. And what's more... I want you to believe for certain that under the water is a people who sigh and make all those bubbles at its surface. As you can see, wherever you turn your eyes, stuck in the muck, they say, We were so sad, even when the sun made the sweet air glad, that we carried around our own acrid fog. Now we croak like frogs in this black morass. They gargle their deep refrain in their throats, for they can't speak complete words. In this way, we made a big arc around the gross pond, between the dry bank and the wet parts, our eyes on those who were stuck down in the mud, and at last we came to the foot of a tower. El mezzo con gli occhi volti a chi del fango ignozza. Venimo al piede d'una torre 
all das setzt so. Those were Cantos 4 through 7 of Inferno in our read-through of this unbelievable masterwork to make sure that we always remember that despite all the interpretive blather we could ever give it, it's still a story. Subscribe to this podcast, rate it, like it, keep walking with me. We're still walking with Dante. <laughs> still Inferno. Inferno. Hey, but you know what? Walking with Dante is a fabulous thing and walking the story is a fabulous thing too. It's a fitting in to our study of Inferno. Let's keep at it. Up next, we continue on past that tower and on toward the walls of Dis. I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to keep walking. Thanks for doing it with me. I'm Mark Scarborough. I'll see you soon, right at the edge of sticks. Sticks.